Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview two special guests, Carmela Cugini and Katie Sewell of Bowery Farming. Now, Bowery Farming is a completely new evolution of farming as we know it. Instead of growing outdoors and being constrained to the seasons and the weather, Bowery Farms are completely inside and live in the center of cities. And because of this, their produce can go 365 days a year. It uses over 95% less water than traditional agriculture. They produce over 100 times more on the same footprint of land and are transporting produce a mere couple miles instead of tens, hundreds, or thousands of miles. And in the episode, Carmela, Katie, and I will discuss what motivated them to leave their executive positions at Starbucks and Pepsi to join Bowery, the mission of Bowery and how it actually works, how COVID has affected the entire food supply chain, and how Bowery is stepping up to make sure retailers, communities, and people can continue to get the most healthy and delicious produce. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Carmela Cugini and Katie Sewell of Bowery Farming. Katie and Carmela, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Awesome. So guys, we have a lot to talk about today and I'm so excited. But before we get into the nitty gritty, just Quickly, what is the kind of 30-second spark notes of who each of you are? Carmela, you want to start? Sure. So, Peter, I come from 18-plus years of CPG, and I spent most of my career in PepsiCo. They trained me across all the various verticals. They're a great organization. And then I left to go try a startup called Jet.com, where I wanted to learn more about how e-commerce worked and how to lead grocery, because food has always been an underpinning of my life. Then Walmart came in and purchased us, which was an amazing experience. I I was able to lead online grocery there and see that evolution. And when I met Bowery, it absolutely hit my value system. So I'm a big believer in sustainability. I'm a big believer in great food. And Bowery brings all of that together for me. And that's why I'm here. So it's a very exciting time. And Peter, similar to Carmela, I think a, a theme you will hear is this idea of values. But I am almost a year at Bowery. Prior to Bowery, I was at Starbucks Coffee Company for almost 15 years in a variety of product marketing, brand, and operations role. And it was truly at Starbucks when I kind of um, understood the power of the private sector or corporations to do good at the same time that they were growing the business. And when I started to talking uh, to Irving about two years ago and really understood the vision he wanted to create for Bowery and this belief um, that you could address big global issues, not only through technology, but through the type of company you were building, I was hooked. And so my family and I moved back East. What's super inspiring for me, and one of the things that I've heard as I've talked to hundreds of companies over the last year is we're seeing more and more people that come from these astounding backgrounds uh, moving over to companies like Bowery that are highly mission-oriented. And I think what I'd love to better understand, and you guys talk about values, for the listeners that are unfamiliar with Bowery and how it fits into the kind of climate ecosystem or sustainability, can, can one of you break down 
why now? Why is Bowery so important? And really what drove you guys to, to move from companies like Pepsi and Starbucks and join up a startup like Bowery? When you look at Bowery, we are a food company that's essentially reimagining agriculture from the ground up, right? With indoor vertical farming. And I think if you take a step back and you look at climate change and you take a look at some of the macro issues we are wrestling um, to the ground today, agriculture is at the crossroads of many of them, right? Whether you're talking about the natural resources needed to farm, whether you're talking about population growth, I think if you read the stats from the UN, we're expecting the population to grow from nine to 10 or to nine to 10 billion people by 2050. That means conceivably we could have to grow more food in the next 40 years, 70% more food in the next 40 years than we have in the last 10,000. 70 to 80% of that population will live in cities. You look at arable land, we've lost 30% of arable land in the U.S. alone as a result of traditional uh, farming methods. I think what some people don't know is around water usage. You have 70% of the fresh water going to agriculture. So when you're looking at all these issues that we're facing from a climate change perspective, from a resource perspective, from an environmental perspective, if you look at safety of food, transparency in the supply chain, stability in the food system. I'm sure we'll get into this later, but you look Mm -hmm. at COVID and all the things we knew were fragile in the food system before COVID have absolutely come to light through this extraordinary time that we're in. Mm -hmm. So by focusing on agriculture and rethinking the way we can do it, I think we're actually in an, uh, in a position where we can try and be a part of the solution for so many complex problems that we're trying to solve today. Wow. I, I want to jump in a bit further there because over the last few weeks, we've seen this recurring theme around this notion of the food supply chain being broken. Uh-huh. And we've seen the articles with pictures of farms and these farmers are dumping, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of potatoes. We're seeing a a number of these issues that have trickled down through different stakeholders across this chain. So help us better understand, you know, how exactly Bowery de-risks or changes that problem set. How how does Bowery become this anti-fragile solution that communities at large can now look to support all these stakeholders from the end consumer, the family, the farmer, the community. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, let me jump in on this one. As we take a look at how we can help that problem that you've just so well articulated, we're a local farming company. So from a supply chain perspective, one of the things that really helps is we're close to our consumer, we're close to our retailer and our customers. So we can go directly from our farm to the shelf within a couple of days. So not only is that providing some of the freshest produce that they will get on the shelf, but it takes out a lot of the complexity of typical agriculture having to travel sometimes weeks and months to get to its end destination. So the fact that we're local really helps with the supply chain process. And with Mm -hmm. Bowery, one of the other things that we've been able to bring to some of our retail partnerships, particularly during this time of COVID, is our ability to be nimble and go right to the store. 
So one of our differentiating factors has been to go direct store delivery. And so when one of our partners, Whole Foods, ran into a a challenge right at the peak time of COVID, they called. And so we were able to flex our supply chain and we doubled our distribution to them within a couple of phone calls. It happened almost immediately. So our flexibility in our supply chain is is very deep and Mm -hmm. our ability to reach them quickly is also something that we're able to bring to the table. And that has really helped us amplify our value during this very difficult time. What I would add to what Carmela is saying as well, in addition to kind of local and transparency and simplicity in the supply chain, is this idea of we are vertically integrated, right? At kind of the product, the seeding production processing level, shipping them to customers. And so there is, because we're grown indoors, there is protection that you get in that from external factors and kind of a simplicity and elegance in the integration of the operations that I think limits disruption. Mm -hmm. And because we leverage robotics and automation, our foods and our produce gets all this care, but is actually touched less by workers as well. Interesting. So... On the Whole Foods example, you mentioned that there is this issue on the fulfillment side of things. And, you know, you don't hear many companies that take on the full stack, like you just said, Katie, seeding, production, processing, and then making sure that product gets to the end destination, whether it's retail or restaurant. How does that last mile compare to the kind of incumbent or existing chain today? I'd love to take this one. But when we think about traditional farming today, and those farmers do amazing work, thank God for them. But contrary to how they're able to do it, they plan their seeding weeks in advance. And over a farmer's lifetime, they may have 40 crops, maybe a little more. But because of the way we leverage our automation and our artificial intelligence, and the way we farm vertically indoors, we can actually create crop cycles hundreds of thousands of times a year. We can also make adjustments to those crop cycles on the farm. So when something changes or shifts in our environment or with our customer, we can say, what is our current forecast? What is our current planting? And do we need to adjust it? So we can remove trace from the system and add trace from the system. Our crop cycle is faster, so we can grow crops quicker And that allows us to meet demand more quickly and be more nimble and flexible for our retailers. And we've experienced that currently. We also experienced this during the arugula shortage, which occurred a little bit earlier this year, in that we were able to meet demand of arugula when arugula was short in the market. That is one of the, the big benefits we're able to bring. And it's such a big, powerful piece of Bowery. I think there's no debate that in vertically integrating the whole system, there's a number of benefits outside of resource efficiencies, turnaround time, the freshness of the food, the anti-fragility. Who are the partners that you're working with? Is the typical customer, the Whole Foods, the Kroger? Like, Talk me through who your target customers are and how you interact with each of them. That's a great question, Peter. Every consumer is a target customer Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. However, at this point in time, We very much are focused on the grocery retailer, the online retailer, and we have some amazing restaurant partners. 
So mm-hmm. as I think about our landscape today, we work with Whole Foods, we work with Giant of Landover out of our new farm that we just built in Maryland. We have Amazon Fresh, Walmart is in our portal as well, Stop and Shop, I could go on and on. We have a number of grocery retailers that we work with today who are great partners of ours. What Mm -hmm. we're seeing though change given COVID is so many consumers are going online. And so fortunately we have great online partnerships and through Katie's team who understands how to develop amazing content, we're able to demonstrate that great online and we're seeing an incredible uh, growth in sales there. In fact, recently through COVID, we've more than doubled our online sales presence and growth. And at the same time, still seeing sales increase in store at the same time. So growth is coming everywhere, but I do think this time is going to shape the way industry changes moving forward. Groceries will continue to live and exist without question, Mm -hmm. but online will become a much bigger piece of the business as you go forward. And I saw that in my previous history, but we were penetrated at a very low level in my old world. Less than 2% of fresh food was online. We're Mm -hmm. seeing upwards of 50 to 60% of online food sales today. And fresh alone, what we're hearing is when when we get beyond this difficult time, 40% of the people approximately will stay purchasing food somehow online, either whether it's through a pickup model or a direct-to-home delivery model. So both categories are incredibly important, as well as really partnering with our restaurant partners, who we have amazing partnerships. Katie can tell you more about. What I would add to that is um, underscoring something Carmela said earlier, when you kind of look at the agility and flexibility in the system, right? What's really interesting about COVID and heartbreaking at the same time is you're seeing the disruption happen at both ends of the spectrum, right? You're seeing it in traditional scaled agriculture, whether you're looking at food service and who they were serving national chains, and you're also seeing the disruption happen at the local level as the restaurant industry started to shut down. And they're one of the biggest customers of the local regenerative agricultural movement, right? And the ability for either of those systems to flex, to meet a different demand in a different channel and a different consumer base is really, really hard because of what Carmela said, because of how far in advance they have to plan out their crops and their grow cycles. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at that through the lens of indoor farming, you're looking at a four to five week crop cycle. That means that we can check and adjust the type of seeds we're planting, the type of crops we're growing, in an extremely short timeline to meet demand where it is or where it's going. So to Carmela's point, we are absolutely leaning in in the retail sector right now with our customers because that's where demand has shifted. And in a future state, when we get through this on the other side, we will be able to flex product portfolio and assortment to meet other customers where they are. So to support the restaurants, the local restaurants as they start to open up again. The thing that is really intriguing to me is trying to understand why Bowery isn't the default agriculture option across communities. And I don't want to oversimplify because I know there's a number of constraints, time, capital, regulatory. But I think, at least in my opinion, what COVID has done, if we look at the brighter side, is at least accelerate awareness around 
the urgency and the need for integrating a solution like Bowery into communities across the world. Um, why do you think we don't have a Bowery farm in all urban areas? Yet? What, what is that key constraint? And if there is a, a really simple answer to this, like how, how do we change that? How do we solve that? I think in part, Peter, the truth is it's a young industry, right? It's nascent. And we are just starting to learn and understand what it takes to ramp a farm. If you look at our three farms we have, our second farm is 10 times bigger than the first one. The third farm is 100 times bigger than the first one. So at every, and we are doing this on an accelerated timeline, but Mm -hmm. we are with each farm increasing size, increasing capacity and leveraging the data from the farms before. So again, what's really cool about the model, and we haven't talked much about it, but one of um, our defining features is our Bowery operating system, which uses vision system, sensory automation, machine learning to capture all the information and the variables that that go into growing crops. And we learn to optimize the recipes of the crops, getting them exactly what they need when they need it. With each farm we build, the next farm actually becomes more smart and benefits from the farms before it. So I think it's more where we are on kind of a hockey stick curve, if you will, in terms Mm -hmm. of scaling the operations, Mm -hmm. then I think that's where we're at is we are beginning to scale right now. Because to your point, we are filling a critical need in the local regional food system. I don't think we feel like we're a silver bullet but we are a critical part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I could add to that, Peter, one of the things we are seeing is incredible interest from the retail community. So as we built our third farm and are ramping it, one of our uh, key customers there who was giant called in the middle of this and said, oh my God, they're very excited about what we're offering. They've given us amazing space in their stores and when COVID hit, they expanded us exponentially across their chain with almost no notice. We were really pivoting quite quick, but that is the level of excitement that we're seeing. So it speaks to Katie's hockey stick analogy. Not only are we growing and getting ready to see explosive growth ourselves, but the retailer and the consumer is coming along with us on that ride. And this has actually accelerated awareness. That's so interesting. To me, it's Bowery is the quintessential local option. If I'm a restaurateur, I have the option of getting produce that I want faster and fresher than any other option out there. The same, you can say the same for uh, larger retail partners. How cost competitive is the produce to mm-hmm. other, you know, to just the incumbent options today? Yeah. If you walked into any of our accounts, you would see us line priced with any of our competitive set or other packaged salads. There's actually no one quite doing it the way we are right now. There are other mm-hmm. great indoor indoor farmers, no question, but we would be line priced. So the value is the same, which is one of the reasons I came here. When I was on the other side in a retailer seat and I actually toured the Bowery Farm as a retailer, I was amazed at what I saw, what the potential of it was and the fact that we could be competitively priced. So as a result of that tour, I actually brought them into Jet.com at the time, and we brought them into Walmart. A realization I've had over the last year is 
what type of messaging works. And I, w- I would love to hear your take here. But, you know, we had, for example, a founder, Sheets and Giggles. They, they create a sustainable bed sheet. And he had this really interesting perspective, which is the reality. You know, we've been trained to consume since the moment we're born. The toy cash registers, the play money, and leading or leading with we are the sustainable alternative just doesn't work, right? The average consumer wants cheaper, wants faster, wants more convenient. And sustainability should just be a baked-in default, right? How, when you think about messaging and what resonates with the retail partners and your end consumers, what's your perspective here? Is sustainability something that you lean into and lead with? Is it a you know, a sub feature, you know, what's your critical take here? I think there's no doubt that if you look at kind of trend and consumer insight over time, that sustainability and companies showing up in the right ways in the communities that they operate in is becoming increasingly important in terms of part of a decision set. But I think you said, something that's really, really important, which is you can't just focus on sustainability if the product doesn't meet a certain quality or value threshold. And what I am super excited about from a Bowery perspective is the quality of the produce. We've often Mm -hmm. talked about this. When you taste Bowery product for the first time, it's like food in full color or high definition because of its freshness because of the flavor profile, whether it's texture, color, aroma, or taste, you are tasting produce the way it is meant to be tasted. And it is an absolutely fabulous experience. And not only do I love this kind of from our value proposition, but I love it because I think when produce tastes great, people are going to eat more of it. And that's super important, not just from a Bowery perspective, but from a people and community health perspective. So I think one place where you'll see us lean in and we do lean in on messaging is this idea around around flavor and taste and Mm -hmm. quality and freshness and kind of all those attributes that fall underneath that. I also think we're seeing food safety become an increasing issue. Carmela mentioned this earlier, but with um, E. coli breakouts, what you've seen with romaine lettuce, lack of transparency kind of in the supply chain, this idea of protected produce is starting to resonate in a way with more currency with consumers than it has in the past. And then I think you envelope that or circle that in with this idea of we are a company and a brand that's committed to doing good, not just at the macro level with, I think, a business proposition that's trying to solve some of the climate change issues through agriculture, but in our local communities. And I can talk to that in in kind of a next round of questioning, but we are deeply committed to increasing access to fresh quality, safe food. And we're doing that through some very interesting nonprofit partnerships. Interesting. Carmela, do you have anything to add on on that piece? Yeah, I think Katie nailed it. Absolutely. I would just uh, accentuate two pieces to that. Katie talked about food safety, and I will tell you that's becoming such a big a driver in messaging. So as we think about it in traceability, I'm sure you've heard about blockchain. What we do at Bowery brings blockchain to an entirely new level because what we can do is actually trace every single clamshell from not just to the farm, but from the actual location within the farm that was grown. 
So we can bring traceability to consumers and traceability equals food safety to them. And in today's world, that becomes so important. So when we message, uh, we message at the shelf a, a couple of clean things. Number one, local, because that tells some that tells the consumer that it's within reach. We also talk about what the product is very clearly on the packaging. And, and we're going to have a lot of new news coming down this pike that's going to help it really tell our story in a much better way. Great stuff that Katie has done. But the food safety messaging is something we definitely want to spin through. It's, it's something that consumers really understand. I love it. We had Jeremy Nusser, who runs Avalo Gardens, on the show a couple weeks ago. And the thing that I've found most compelling around the notion of local and growing your own vegetables is exactly what you both hit home around flavor as well. He talked about broccoli, for example. <laughs> the The flavor profile of broccoli goes from, you know, 100 to 40. You know, those are arbitrary figures in a matter of 24 hours. So I keep looping back around to this notion of scaled local, mm-hmm. which is what y'all are doing better than anyone else. If I think if, if you're a first-time consumer and you're able to taste the difference, how do you go back? <laughs> Can't go back, you know? Um, but the the one piece that I, I'd love for you to explain further, Katie, is this notion of accessibility. Yeah. Because, you know, there's one thing, if, if, if you can access the food and taste it, then yes, obviously, it, it'll be hard for any of us to go back to alternatives. But how do you think about improving access to healthy, local, delicious Bowery options? Yeah, I love the question because, again, I think it's so critically important to our mission. And I think Carmela spoke to this early on. I think one one place that we're going is through the customer base and our retail partners, right? If you look at the names that Carmela listed off, there is a spectrum across mm-hmm. the retail segment there, right? From Walmart to Whole Foods. So how we incorporate access through the business model is one piece of this. And we're very much getting started on that journey. I think a second piece is how you forge the right relationships in the communities in which you operate. And whether that's through government relations, whether that's through policy, whether that's through nonprofit partnerships, those are areas that we're starting to formulate our thinking and understanding where we want to make a difference. Um, super excited. I think Carmela mentioned our third farm is ramping now in Baltimore, Maryland, or just outside of Baltimore. And we've had some incredible partnerships start to take hold with nonprofits doing just amazing work there in terms of increasing access. One of the partnerships I want to highlight is with DC Central Kitchen. And they're just, they're a very seasoned nonprofit in this market, deeply committed um, to bringing fresh produce, safe produce into underserved communities. And they have a program called the Healthy Corners Initiative. And basically what they're doing is they're working with the independent bodegas or corner stores and providing the infrastructure they need to actually sell and serve fresh food. Like this idea of refrigeration and freezers it's a relatively new capability, how you run a fresh food program in these bodegas or the corner stores. So they actually provide the infrastructure, the expertise, and some of the funding that's necessary. And then the secondary role that they're playing is supplier of fresh produce. 
So about two weeks ago, we started, Bowery became one of the fresh suppliers in this Healthy Corners program and are selling at wholesale prices through DC Central Kitchens, our clamshells. So our butterhead lettuce, all branded Bowery, the exact same product, quality of product that you would find in these healthy corner stores as you would in a stop and shop, as you would in a Whole Foods market. So our butterhead, our kale, our spring blend is now in this pilot program. So that's just one example of how we're connecting with the community in a way that's a wholesale model, which I'm really excited mm -hmm. about because I think there's long-term sustainability in that. And then obviously donation is a key point of what we do. One of our nonprofit partners in the New Jersey market near the, the Kearney Farms is Table to Table. And we are um, donating weekly to them, to their fresh food program in underserved communities. What I like to do is zoom out for a sec. And I think unlike a lot of the other amazing founders and inventors that I've, I've spoken to over the last year, I mean, you both bring such a fascinating and compelling perspective to the issues we're talking about here, the opportunities ahead. If we look at the kind of grocery and food landscape at large, right, Uber Eats is now allegedly a larger business at the moment than Uber itself, right? I just, I would love to get your take just more broadly, what is or what are the most interesting trends, inventions, or a startup you're seeing emerge, obviously outside of Bowery, that is within this umbrella of either changing the food chain, of changing food preferences, how people interact with food? You know, what are you, what are you both seeing out there? What's really exciting to both of you? One of the things that um, we are seeing right now, as I mentioned earlier on, is uh, an awareness of online and and consumers having the ability to order what they want and get it at their doorstep and experiencing mm -hmm. that for the first time. So what that has done is actually create a scenario where you said it early on, we have all this food supply and suppliers that were providing those goods to food service providers that have now had to redirect their supply chain. And so what we're actually seeing and trends that are happening that I think will continue to stick as we move beyond this is new channels becoming available. So sub more subscription boxes, uh, potentially CSAs going direct from you know, a, a farm to a consumer mm -hmm. through a digital network, uh, direct shipment, N a number of various avenues to increase online service, I think is what you're going to see, number one. Number two, with grocery stores, those, those retailers that have a great experience to offer with regards to either A, being able to shop without touching things and having a scan-to-go system without having to go through a register and, and, and you know engage in that way. That will help them accelerate. Mm -hmm. Retailers that have the ability to have a great pickup and delivery service will also accelerate. And at the end of the day, I think consumers are going to be spending more time at home. So in addition to just providing the basics and being able to make sure we provide the best quality, fresh tasting produce that is incredibly food safe to consumers, what we can also do is inspire them. So as Katie talks about 
we're going to be expanding our portfolio so we can provide storytelling and recipe direction and, and allow consumers to be their own chef in their home because the way they behave today mm-hmm. or in the past may change and they're starting to experiment in new areas. So this is an area we can lean in and teach them how to do new things with new produce. And so mm-hmm. I believe strongly those trends will continue to change. We saw them coming long ago, but the way unfortunately COVID has accelerated it is is really quite amazing to see how mm-hmm. how the future has come forward in such a new way. That is really compelling. I, I think particularly on the last note around cooking, you look at in addition to online, to what extent behaviors that we're learning now or are being accelerated to to which extent they will stick yeah. and stick in a meaningful way when shelter at home goes down. And I, I think what Bowery is uniquely positioned to capture is not only being able to deliver fresh locally in a meaningful way, because there's a the, the the core challenge with incumbent chains, I imagine, is just distance. So it's hard to really deliver at a price or expectation level that is satisfying to customers. But then beyond that, once you're in the customer's home, how do you continue to build that relationship? And I can, you know, cooking has got to be I mean, that's like a blue ocean for, for Bowery. It really is. And maybe Katie can speak to it. Her team has done an amazing job bringing social media into, into the forefront and teaching people mm-hmm. how to use our, our produce. I think that's right. I think, you know, one of the things we started talking about early on at Bowery, again, I'm, I feel like I'm looking at some of this through the lens of COVID, but really important to do so is it's physical distancing, but not social distancing, right? And some of the connection that you're seeing happening right now, virtually kind of the togetherness and the communities that are popping up to share ideas, to connect with one, to connect with each other. I mean, I think some of this to Carmela's point is going to pull through when we're on the other side of this and there will be change in behavior and new ways of connecting virtually that you wouldn't have thought of before, I think will be one of those, whether that's how you share a meal together, right? Across the table or across the internet. I think those are some of the things we'll see stick. And I do um, believe we feel like in our product portfolio, there is an opportunity to address both this need of what I would call commercial approachable produce that's healthy and fantastic for everyone, And you will see us make plays in the portfolio where we are segmenting into this culinary space and hopefully opening a whole new world for consumers Mm -hmm. to play with and experiment with at home, where previously they would have gotten that um, experience at a restaurant. I want to talk a little bit more about physical distancing. And and as we get to the, the tail end of the interview, something that has really piqued my interest as of late is how companies, particularly companies of your size, have managed to keep the team excited together. So within the kind of greater context of trying to maintain a thriving culture, what has your you and your team done? You know, what what are the hacks? What are what are some of the things that you guys have tried to carry over transition as I imagine most people aren't, aren't going into the office. 
I, I think it's a really interesting question kind of at the meta or macro level. And it's a particularly interesting question for us as we have the headquarters support employees and we have our modern farmers who are showing up in the farm every day doing the most extraordinary work. And I think one of the things that has really worked in our favor is that we are mission-based and everyone is rallying around our mission right now and the importance of the work and the importance of growing fabulous food that is going to get on the shelves um, of the grocery stores or to the nonprofits who can distribute it in communities that need it so critically right now. So I think we were mission-based before, and I think in the context of today, the inspiration that we are getting collectively as an organization of rallying around it has um, served us tremendously well. I also mm. think our chief people officer, Carolyn Cooley, and the entire, entire people organization has done a phenomenal job of translating our culture both online and virtually Slack is a huge platform for us, mm -hmm. but the channels we have lit up both kind of uh, bottoms up and top down, <laughs> whether it's work from home channels, parenting mm -hmm. channels, we are actively engaged in communicating with the organization through all hands, kind of virtual mm -hmm. town halls that happen weekly. And then we are doing some really high touch things at the farms for our modern farmers. So an example of what the people team would be doing is they are making and delivering take home dinners and lunches, not just for the modern farmer, but for people of four in their family. So that's some of kind of, again, the high touch, really human approach, partner first approach that I feel mm -hmm. like we've taken and the culture has kind of just been grown and nurtured during this time, even though there's a physical distance component for sure. Mm -hmm. I have two more questions before we part ways. And the first of which I don't think there is a silver bullet for, but as quarantines ease and people start to tinker with trying to re-engage in some normal way, restaurants and to, to what extent they're able to thrive and survive is, is a big question mark. You know, one suggestion that I saw on Twitter this past week was a proposal to shut down some of the major streets to cars and allow restaurants to put tables in the streets so that even though they have to reduce or meet these density requirements, they now have increased capacity to compensate. What have you guys, if all heard around interesting proposals or recommendations here? I mean, if you are giving advice to a restaurateur or city manager, how do you think we can try to support these restaurants over the next 18, 24 months as we start to, to go back to some semblance of normalcy? Hmm. That's a tough one. I will take a shot from my angle of it. And then by all means, Katie, uh, jump in. As I think about how we support them, the first way we can certainly support them is trying to find ways to help them continue a carryout and take out business so that we can continue to socially distant but drive revenue into their pockets. We can help them communicate that in ways that are differentiated, either socially or in other ways. 
And I'm not sure that I have the silver bullet for how to bring people back into, into the fold. I, I think there's people at much uh, more senior levels that might have to deal with that and in governmental levels that'll have to deal with that. I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but I know that we are very open to determining how to, how to help support our, mm-hmm. our partners. Mm-hmm. Before we, before we part ways, I, I want to lighten things up and typically what I do in this last question is I'll talk to, to founders about ideas that are in their idea graveyard, right? You know, I think we're probably alike in that. Maybe, you know, ever, every so often we start building this idea list and most of the time, you know, 99 out of 100, you end up just, you know, putting away, chucking up as this is hysterically awful. And then maybe, you know, one of the 100 you, you think are super interesting, but you just don't have the time to execute on them. So they end up just rotting away in your idea graveyards. So to the extent that either of you feel comfortable sharing, are there any ideas that qualify that are just either rotting away in your idea graveyards? And if not, are there any kind of request for startups that you know, you'd want to put out there for an aspiring founder? Any of those two? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Hmm. Boy, that's a good one. <laughs> I don't I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I will go for the founder insight or perspective. And I guess mine mm-hmm. is absolutely colored from coming from Starbucks. Even though I was 15 years there, it was very much like the business model, the go-to-market approach was very well established, right? Even 15 years ago, and we continued to build and optimize on it. And part of kind of the push for me to come to Bowery was to build something from the ground up. And I think what's really important to kind of feel and, and, and know is that so long as the mission is clear, that is, that is the North star you need because the experience can be so volatile and so tumultuous, right. With good days and, and, and bad days and up and down, because many times you're trying to do stuff that's never been done before. And just to Mm -hmm. kind of sit with that and work with that and stay really even in that process, knowing where your North star is and how you get there may be different than you thought. And just taking that journey along the way. I love it. Carmela, any any that you want to add? Yeah. Sure. Um, the only thing I would add is I think we're in such a different time today, and we're all questioning what is coming. How do we do what's great for the community? Continue to thrive so we can support our employees as well as support our communities and our customers. And I think in that we need to think differently. I think we need to think about what are the right partnerships to forge in order to serve the community. And although we all want to thrive and be independently, incredibly successful businesses, in my mind, I question how can we work better together? So mm-hmm. are, there, are there produce companies that should be coming together to serve the community in a different way? And should we be thinking beyond just ourselves in order to be better together tomorrow? So that would be the only thing that I would say. I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but... Mm-hmm. I believe that there's something bigger here that we should be thinking about and unlocking. I love that. To the both of you, before we part ways, um, I, I would love to lay out the red carpet. You know, are there any 
final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that either of you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. Clearly, we came to Bowery because we believe in the mission. We love what we're producing. Our food is amazing. We love our partners that we have today and are so excited about growing with those partners. I would have uh, two asked to anybody that might be listening. Number one, please try our produce. I think once you try it, you'll understand why we're so excited about it. And, and so you can pick that up at one of our retailers. And then secondly, if you are a retailer or an online supplier, please reach out to us. We want to work with everybody and our, and our, our vision is to democratize access to this amazing food. So please reach out because we would love to build wonderful partnerships. Amazing. Katie, anything you want to add before we part ways? No, I think, I think Carmela said it. I think kind of my parting words is it's extraordinary times and we're going to get through this together. So just for everyone to find their, their ways kind of big or small to help out the communities in which we're a part of right now. And the nonprofit world, we've talked about this. Nonprofits need our help. They are serving such an important need right now in terms of trying to be a buffer or cushion amidst COVID. I've talked about a couple that are doing amazing work, DC Central Kitchen, Table to Table, Maryland Food Bank, and they are in need of our support right now as they are working 24 seven to try and help our communities. Amen to that. Katie and Carmela, Thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today. We'll have to do this when things hopefully get back to normal soon. Peter, thank you so much for the time and the opportunity. Appreciate it, Peter. Be safe. Be well. Yeah, take care. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.